Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Roseland. This podcast will teach you to acquire superhuman mental abilities and hack your reality. Thank you for joining us on the Limitless Mindset Podcast. My name is Woody Roseland and I'm here with Jonathan Roseland. On this episode of the Limitless Mindset, we're going to teach you 12 strategies and techniques that will make you seem smarter to other people. Then we'll finish up the episode with teaching you about task batching and frame control with the money-making technique. Let's do it. How to seem smart even if you are clueless. Now, there's a little bit of humorous irony to the title of this podcast that I want to make you aware of, first of all. The irony is that intelligence most of the time is something that is a perceived quality. Um, Intelligence in very few cases is actually something that's uh, objective, measurable, quantifiable. Intelligence is usually a perceived quality. Like say, uh, you know, beauty is a perceived quality. There's a lot of people out there that are very beautiful people. Some of those beautiful people are very successful because they're beautiful. And then I'm sure we've all known beautiful people that weren't successful at all. So intelligence is a very similar quality. It's very subjective. It's something that's in the eye of the beholder. So when we say, you know, seem smart, we're not just being smart asses by saying that. Seeming smart is debatably very close to the same thing as actually being smart. Have you ever noticed that people with British accent, you just kind of assume that they're smart? You don't... It's just kind of one of those things that you're like, oh, British accent, this guy knows what's going on. You, Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, we wouldn't have started believing in Darwinism if Darwin was from, say, Texas, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, what's interesting about intelligence is that there's actually nine different forms of intelligence. There is naturalistic intelligence, which would be an example of the kind of intelligence that Darwin had when you understand things that happen in nature. There's musical intelligence. So that's the type of intelligence that someone that can create really awesome pieces of music has. There is logical, mathematic intelligence. So that's the kind of intelligence that someone like Einstein had that could put together really amazing pieces of uh, science. There is existential intelligence, which is the kind of intelligence that, say, uh, Socrates or Kant had that's very philosophical. I believe it was Kant. Kant. Was I, I, Kant? That, that, that's how I've heard it. I don't know. I'm more, I'm more convinced if you say Kant than Kant. Okay. <laughs> 
there is interpersonal intelligence, which is people smart. And that we actually talk a lot about interpersonal intelligence here on the show. There is body kinesthetic intelligence, which is the kind of intelligence that your personal trainers and your athletes are going to have. There is linguistic intelligence, which is the intelligence of understanding words and communication and uh, phonetics very well. And then there's also intrapersonal intelligence, which is the introspective self-intelligence, you know, being able to look at yourself and say, okay, this is where my shortcomings are, this is where my strengths are, being able to do that. And then there's also spatial intelligence, which is you think of someone that is, say, like a, uh, say someone that's like a designer or an artistic person or someone that's an engineer. These type of people have a lot of good spatial intelligence. So everyone on this planet is very strong in probably at least one of these different areas of intelligence. And you can really go on to live a happy and successful life using any one of these different forms of intelligence. So what our objective here is, is to help you go and take you know your form of intelligence and bring it to the next level and leverage the strengths that you have. So we're going to dive in here and me and Woody have got 12 different ways to seem and actually become smarter. Do you want to go first? Absolutely. So what we're talking about is you're in a conversation, you're in a group of people and they're talking about something and you just don't know a whole lot about it, but you want to, you know, you're with people you care about and you want to, you know, you may not know them very well and you want to give off the appearance of having you know, some worth and value by being smart. You don't want to just open your mouth and say a bunch of stupid stuff every time they look at you. So, one thing that I like to do is you kind of lead the discussion, even if you don't know what you're talking about. If you're the person that's leading the discussion about, you know, a topic that's, you know, a big topic, then, you know, you're automatically associated with that topic, and people will kind of assume you know what you're talking about if you're the one that can lead that and you can bring other people into it. You can say, yeah, so what do you think about that, John? What do you think about that, Estelle? And have them be a part of the conversation, too. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is you can even go into a conversation and initiate a conversation topic and then maybe not even add very much to that conversation topic, but you will seem smarter because you are the person that introduced it to the group. So here's an interesting one. An interesting way to make yourself seem more smarter is learn a popular topic to debunk. Okay, so uh, a good example of this is you hear people talking a lot about uh, the environment and global warming. And there's a lot of different topics out there that are kind of topics like this, where there's kind of like a lot of... I guess we could call them kind of like armchair experts on the topic. That is kind of a topic that everyone seems to feel, that peoples in general seem to like to think of themselves as being kind of like experts on. Like, uh, you know, right now it's January 12th, so a lot of people are talking a lot about their goals for their health and for their physical activity this time of the year. So, like, let's say you can go into a conversation 
And you can say, you know, and people are talking about, well, you know, this is the carbohydrate intake that I want to, you know, have this year. If you can go and spend a couple hours on the internet reading up on a real specific aspect of the way that your body processes carbohydrates, for example, and let's say people start discussing that topic and they're discussing something like, well, I want to switch my carbohydrate intake over to, uh, you know, less of the complex carbohydrates and more simple carbohydrates. If you can go into that line of top line of thought and you can drop some real knowledge on them, you know, drop, you know, some acronyms, some long phrases and things like that. Even if you don't really know very much about that topic, but you know a couple of phrases to make it sound like you do and you can debunk a popular belief, you're going to seem like a more intelligent person. Something I like to do is just to learn quotes on a myriad of topics is all intelligent thoughts have already been thought. What is necessary is only to try and think them again. And I didn't make that up. That's a quote by someone named Johann Wolfgang. And I just threw that out there. And you guys heard that. And you said, oh, snap. This guy's, He's a smart guy. This guy's laying down stuff that I don't even know about. So you just learn, th- you just learn quotes. You know, they're applicable to situations. And you just, you just toss them out there. You know, well thought, well thought out sentences that some really smart guy 50 years ago was really proud of, and you, you don't have to give him credit, you, you just kind of toss that out there, you know, and people are like, oh, well, all right, this guy knows his shit. <laughs> you know, that's a great, there's a really good quote that I use all the time to do the exact same thing, and here's what it is, you are more likely to die of indigestion of too much opportunity than starvation of too little. I want to just give you a minute to let that the the depth of the of that one sink in on you. And I find that with me because I have a lot of friends that are business people, entrepreneurial people, hustlers. You know, we're always looking at all these different opportunities, and we're always trying to convince each other to do deals with each other and that sort of thing. And so I like to tell people, I'm like. You know, I believe that I'm more likely to die of indigestion of too much opportunity than starvation of too little. And people are always like, whoa, that is a deep one. And that's actually a quote from one of my favorite, uh, from, a, from a book called From Good to Great. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I would, I would recommend for you people that are out there that do a lot of deals, that do business, that sort of things, uh, try that one. And I will make sure that we have a link on the show notes to that particular book because it was an excellent one. Okay, one of the ways that you can seem more intelligent is learn the etymology of words. So what does etymology mean? Etymology is the history that exists behind the different words that are in our language. And a lot of times the etymology of words can give a really fascinating flavor to those particular words. Like, for example, one of my very most favorite words in the world is audacious. And so I'll be in a conversation with people and I'll say audacious or someone else might, you know, I'll I'll bring that on in the conversation. And I'll say, hey, do you want to hear something interesting about the word audacious? Do you know where, you know, what the history of that word is? And people will be like, yeah, sure. And I'll be like, well, it actually comes from a Roman phrase. And the Roman phrase that it comes from is, Adasis fortania huvat. 
And some of you who studied Roman or uh, you know classical literature might recognize that phrase. It means fortune favors the bold. And so that phrase originally came from a uh, philosopher whose name was Virgil, and he was writing that in one of the one of the books that he wrote. And at the time, fortune was regarded as a as a deity. She was kind of like the deity of luck. That if you were going to go on an adventure, you were hoping that you were getting that that fortune was favoring you. Right? That's what that phrase "adasus fortunia huvat" meant. And one of the people that really loved that phrase, that said that phrase a lot, and that this phrase was applied to, was Julius Caesar. So you think about Julius Caesar. He was a man that was bold and audacious enough to go out and conquer the known world of barbarians at the time. So when I'm talking to people and I'm saying audacious, that's the spirit that's behind me using the word audacious. And that, you know, makes me sound a whole lot more intelligent. If you want a fun way to learn uh, some etymology of words, check out the YouTube channel Hot for Words. And uh, it's very entertaining and it'll teach you etymology of a lot of different words. You know hysteria comes from the word uterus? It's true. Really? Yeah. Hysteria. Hysteria. Yeah. I don't know, maybe because pregnant women... A little bit crazy. I don't know. That could be it. That, but look at it. Google it. Google it. It's it's true. Um, something I like to do. Uh, back up uh, your opinions with statistics because sixty four percent of statistics are made up on the spot. Is that true? Did you know that only twenty one percent of the things Woody says on this podcast are bullshit? <laughs> All made up. All made up. Yeah. So having little statistics, little. Things that you can add to enhance uh, what you're talking about, you know, because it's always good to have a baseline of knowledge about most things. Like, I, you know, like, I don't really care about, you know, some things, but I find out a little bit about them so that if I'm in a situation with it, I can bring it up. And then I have a little statistic to drop. And then people are like, oh, okay, here we go. This guy's got statistics. Here's a line that I like to use when I'm talking with smart people. You know, sometimes you'll have one of those moments where you're, uh, you know, who knows, maybe you're at a restaurant, maybe you're around a table, maybe you're hanging out, and you're talking with some people, and you can just tell these are some sharp people. Is I like to use this line, I like to say, okay, so small minds talk about people, moderate minds talk about events, and great minds talk about ideas. So... Let's, let's talk about some ideas. And if you're hanging out with a group of people that are smart people, that are, you know, intellectuals, maybe they're, maybe they're kind of, maybe a little bit snobby intellectual types, you know, sometimes, sometimes we all hang out with those people. Sometimes we are those people, let's be honest. <laughs> Use that line, and that line does an awesome job of putting you in charge of the conversation and moving the conversation into, you know, some real interesting um, idea-oriented territory. Hi, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and I've got an interesting, introspective question for you. How would you rate your ability to remember the names of new people that you meet? If you're like most of us, you are probably not very good at it. I'm sure you've heard before 
how valuable it is to remember and use people's names. Remembering people's names will consistently make you more successful in business, social, and dating situations. I'd like to give you access to a four-part video course which will teach you in less than an hour a simple mental hack that master salespeople, politicians, and cult leaders use to remember limitless names instantaneously. The course has a $97 value, but as a listener of this podcast, you can access it for free today. To claim your free access to this video course, please visit LimitlessMindset.com. You know, we're not, we're not always at a restaurant talking with people. A lot of the time, we're on our computers. People, learn your grammar. Learn the difference between there, there, and there. Two, two, and two. It's not rocket scientists. But if you're having an argument, you're having a discussion with someone, and you drop they are... The, you know, you, you drop that instead of there, you know, you, you, you destroy all credibility. So be sure to know that, you know, have your little checks and balances in your mind to, to check what you're saying and figure it out. It's 2012. You, we can know the difference between there, there, and there. Yeah, that's true. You know, the internet has really kind of raped the English language. And if you are on the, you know, we all use the internet fairly frequently, I assume, if you're a person that's listening to a podcast. So, you know, put together your sentences with, you know, at least a semi-correct sentence structure, you know, with a beginning, middle, and end, with paragraphs, with commas, and periods. And believe me, you will seem way, way smarter than a person that is using, you know, kind of this crappy internet grammar that a lot of people, especially a lot of young people, and we probably have a lot of younger people that listen to this podcast, you know, so use good grammar when you're on the internet. It'll make you seem a lot sharper. All right, I have a line, another line that I really like to use, and I use this line a lot in sales situations, and here's what it is. Let me make sure that I'm understanding exactly what you are saying. So I find this really convenient in sales situations that I'll be talking with someone and we'll be going back and forth and they'll have a problem that I would like them to pay me to solve. And so I will, you know, listen to them, take some notes, and then I make sure before I start, you know, espousing my ideas and doing my upselling and all that jazz, I slow down and I go, let me make sure that I'm understanding exactly what you're saying here. And then I repeat back to them what they told me. And in sales situations and relationships, this line or some different variations of it really does make a really big difference. Because people are just people are just starving for validation and starving to be understood. And so when you let them know that you understand them, that you validate their feelings, that, that really does make a big difference in a really wide variety of, uh, of situations. So I would say make it, try to make it a practice to use that line in conversations whenever you can. And at the very least, I mean, if you're having an argument, if you use that, then you get on the same page. Because, I don't know, 
when people argue, it's not always a fair fight. But if you can be like, hey, all right, so are you saying this? And if they're like, yeah, I'm saying this, you go, okay, now we're getting somewhere. So from an arguing standpoint, it's good point. Also, it's good to have a couple big words in your vocabulary. Not for the use all the time, but, you know, to, to pepper in here and there. To have a plethora of good words. Like that, like plethora. Like that. See? Sounds fancy. Just like a smorgasbord of vocabulary. <laughs> Absolutely. There you go. So, yeah, I have a couple big words. You know, and you don't want them to be big words that nobody knows. You don't want to say something and have people have to look it up on their smartphone. Just, you know, use words that are more than three syllables and people know. And that'll, that'll give you a little bit of credibility, too. And a great way to expand your vocabulary is to pick up a uh, there's pick up an application on your cell phone. There's a lot of word of the day applications on your cell phone that take just you know a minute or two out of your day to go and check out what's the word of the day. There's word of the day calendars. There's little things that you can plug into your web browser. So uh, you know yeah, pick up one of those word of the day things and then uh, make an effort to use that word every day. And it's uh it's a, it's 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 a fun way to learn new things. And uh, it also it makes makes you come across as a whole lot more smarter person because you're, you know, you're trying to expand yourself and that's obvious to people because you're always using these new interesting words. I don't know about you, but most of the time when I talk, I use words. So. <laughs> All right. The next area is to develop some obscure knowledge in an area where you're unlikely to meet someone else that's going to have that same knowledge. Like, for example, Woody, did you know that um, in China, it, it, that in, in China, website domain names in China that have the letters uh, 3, 5, and 8 in them carry very high amounts of value on the aftermarket. Didn't. Those are also numbers, but... <laughs> the reason behind that is because those are very lucky. No, those numbers represent lucky symbols in the Chinese language. So, though, so the value of the the value of domain names that contain those symbols move up a whole lot, move up to being worth a whole lot more. And in Chinese, they don't have a phonetic alphabet; they have a symbology-based alphabet. So, the domain names that people in China use correspond to uh, correspond to letters. So that's an example of a very obscure form of knowledge. And the funny thing about that is very, very few people are going to know that exact same thing. So that could be complete bullshit that I just made up. But if we're sitting around having cocktails at a networking event, that sure seems, that sure seems to make me seem smart, right? And it's also nice to have obscure knowledge because nobody's going to call you out on it. Nobody's going to say, it's 2, 7, and 9, asshole. You know? <laughs> Thanks, Woody. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, something I do that I think you probably do, too, you accidentally add words like um and like when you're not exactly sure what to say. And by eliminating those from your vocabulary... Your thoughts seem a lot more concise and organized when you're not stumbling for words. So that's something that you can try as well. Good point. 
In the 2011 movie Limitless, the main character takes a clear pill which endows superhuman mental abilities, which allow for him to become a master communicator, creative genius, and a wealthy, powerful businessman virtually overnight. While the movie and the drug in it are fictional, there certainly are real-life supplements that can significantly enhance your brain power, memory, and cognitive abilities. If you are committed to reaching your greatest potential, you are definitely going to want to check out the marketplace of brain power products and supplements on LimitlessMindset.com. This marketplace is built with ratings and review software that allows you to see what brain power supplements and products are creating the most powerful results for other members of the Limitless Mindset community. Go to LimitlessMindset.com backslash marketplace today to find the neurotropic supplement or brain power product that is right for you. The next way to make your self seem smart, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of hound this point because it's it's very makes a big impact, is your physical appearance actually has a lot to do with the way that people perceive you. So if you're someone that looks very sharply dressed people are going to perceive you right away as being a far more intelligent person. So just a couple of points, buy clothing that fits you. So for example, if you're a guy, your shirts should come, your shirts should not come any lower on your jeans than where than, than where the crotch of your jeans are. Um, if you're a guy, the shoulders of your shirts should not cut the where the, the, the seam is on your shirt for where the sleeve starts. That should sit exactly over that bone where your shoulder bone is. And by wearing, it's it's funny thing, lots of guys just don't wear clothes that fits them very well. And it's one of those appearance things that doesn't, that, that makes you seem less, less intelligent. And again, it's kind of funny that we equate appearances with intelligence, but that's just what people do. I mean, if you're if you're talking to someone and he can't even dress himself, how do you how do you know that he's a credible source if he can't even put on a shirt? Right. And how many times do we see people that have completely deceived massive groups of people into thinking that they're very intelligent? Like. Uh, I can think of a president or two or three or four that turned out to not be very sharp people, but they looked very, very suave, very smooth, and they ultimately got a, you know voted for by millions and millions of people. Um, think how many how many people there are have been bank presidents and CEOs and officials that have not been smart people that have made terrible decisions that cost. A ridiculous amount, but people believed that they were competent because they had a sharp suit on. That could be you. That could be you making those horrible decisions. <laughs> <laughs> but it won't be because you're listening to the Limitless Mindset. Podcast. Absolutely. Okay. 
Uh, final way here that we've got to, uh, to seem smart is to follow thought leaders. So a thought leader is usually going to be someone like a author or a podcaster or a filmmaker, um, someone that is a recognized authority in a particular niche. And so what I would say, if there's, if there's a subject that you have some passion and you have some real interest on, Go out there, find the people that are the leaders in that particular industry and follow what, and you know, obviously you have a limited amount of time in your day, you have a limited amount of information that you can consume, but go and find the people that are leaders and eat up what they are putting out there so that you can stay on the cutting edge. And when you reference people and you're like, hey, this person is a thought lead, you know, if, you know, if you're like, hey, this person's the industry leader of this particular area of interest, this is what they're saying right now about what's happening in the world. That's going to keep you on the cutting edge. That's going to uh, make you perceived as a much more intelligent person. Absolutely. And one thing that I like to do is... I'm sure many of you have Twitters as well. Follow people that know what they're talking about on Twitter. Twitter's great for following your friends who are talking about what they're doing that night. But if you're following actual smart people, then they're giving you a live feed of what's going on in the world and what they think about it. So all of a sudden, something happens and they comment on it. And they're, you know, brilliant people. So here you have... 140 characters of solid gold from a smart person. You're having a conversation. You can just drop that in there, and then all of a sudden, you you know, you're talking like someone who's an expert in this field, when really you're just following them on Twitter. Great way to seem smarter than you are. Do you have some some examples of people like that that you like to follow that seem to uh, drop drop knowledge frequently? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh. You know who I like? There's a futurist whose name is Ray Kurzweil, and he's one of the leading... A futurist is a scientist who try to, tries to make accurate predictions about what's going to happen in the future, and uh, he just seems to have some real gems of knowledge as it relates to technology and society. There's also, I would recommend, there's an author named Malcolm Gladwell, who some of you may have heard of, that's wrote, written a bunch of really fascinating books about uh, causality in society, and he has some really good things. He has some, he has some really fascinating commentary. There is a uh, there, there's another author that wrote a book called Freakonomics, and it's a book that describes the uh, hidden economical causality of you know mathematic things occurring, and um, he has some really interesting sociological commentary on uh, fr from from a mathematical economics perspective. Those are a couple that I like. Yeah, definitely. There's, you know, there's a lot of great people. So whatever your passions are, whatever you're interested in, you know, there's everybody's on Twitter nowadays. You can find people. Great, great tool to use. Okay, I'd like to move on to talking about task batching in combination with passive information consumption, because ultimately. You know, one of the greatest ways to make yourself genuinely smarter, genuinely more limitless, is to 
consume a lot of information about subjects that have some real value um, that are really useful. However, we all only have you know a very limited amount of time um, in our day to do this. And so what I like to try to do is practice task batching in combination with passive information consumption. So if you're like most people, a certain proportion of your workday is spent on activities that have a fairly high degree of redundancy to them. Uh, like for example, I spend a fair amount of my workday doing website development and uh, doing IT type stuff. And while there is part of that that's real challenging and that really engages me and takes all my problem solving skills, I'd say there's a good between 40 to 60% of it every day that's kind of, you know, repeat of a certain process that I'm already pretty familiar with. So this is what I do. I go and take a look at what my tasks are in any given day. And the tasks that are requiring of a lot of my intellectual brain power energy, uh, of my, of my problem solving ability, I move those tasks towards the beginning of the day, towards the morning time and towards the early afternoon. And the tasks that are going to require, the tasks that are more redundant in nature, I move those tasks towards the end of the day when my energy levels are lower. So that way I'm getting the maximum bang for my buck for my personal energy and productivity levels. And while I'm conducting those more redundant tasks, I start doing some passive information consumption. What's passive inf information consumption? Well, that's exactly what you're doing right now. Listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks, um, all these type of things are passive information consumption mediums. So I would, yeah, I would really highly, highly recommend um, get the most value out of your time. So take those, you know, take a look at your workday. What are my activities this day? And take the stuff that's redundant and go and listen to some audio, really good audio content. Listen to some podcasts while you're doing that. And you'll really be amazed at the enrichment that that gives you. Um, another way of increasing your intake of information that is really valuable is if you're if you're like most Americans, if you're like most people in the Western Hemisphere, and you're honest with yourself, you probably spend a lot of time every week watching television in one form or another. You know, maybe you're watching it on your computer, maybe you're watching it on a device, maybe you're watching it, you know, at home in your living room with your family. And a lot of that time can be turned into really valuable, life-enriching, intellectual-enriching time that makes yourself a lot smarter. If you spend that time listening, watching television, that is going to uh, enrich you. So the first place I go to look for television that's really going to actually make me smarter is I look for documentary films. And I actually kind of consider myself to be sort of addicted to documentary films because I, I watch about one a day pretty consistently. And if you look around, documentary films a lot of times can be just as, if not 
in a lot of cases, a whole lot more entertaining than regular television. Um, and there's there's literally thousands and thousands of documentary films out there on pretty much any subject you could imagine. Everything from um, me personally, I really love th- anything related to history. I really, really enjoy. I especially enjoy alternative historical theories where people have, uh, where, where there's, there's, you know, an idea about fear about what happened in, at this point in history, but there's, you know, five or six other different theories about what might have happened because, hey, you know, it was thousands of years ago. We don't actually know exactly what happened. Um, so I like to look at those different historical possible theories as to, you know, what might have, uh, Caused the pyramids to uh, to have been built, <laughs> for example, is is one of the most fascinating ones. Um, I really also enjoy documentaries about the way that economics work and about the way that the uh, monetary system, that our current system of the way that banks work and the way that credit cards work and the way that money is trans, that currencies are transferred and value is exchanged from country to country on a global scale. There's a number of really fascinating documentaries on that particular subject matter. So I would say, you know, make a real, go and take a look at your television watching activities and take an honest look and be like, okay, what is this show really doing for me? And chances are you're probably spending a couple hours a week, possibly even quite a bit more on some shows that just really are doing nothing for you. And you're spending about 20 to 30% of your time watching television commercials for those shows, which in my opinion is just, uh, it's just absurd. So, you know, go and get a Netflix account, uh, where you don't have to watch any TV commercials and start checking out some documentaries. And they have thousands there that are just, uh, fascinating and they really will enrich you and give you a much better understanding of the world. I feel like we should get a couple money or a couple dollars for uh, dropping Netflix's name. Yeah, uh, Mr. CEO of Netflix, if you want to, uh, you know, hit us up with some sponsorship sponsorship cash, I would would appreciate that. We'd like some of your internet money, please. <laughs> yeah, it's true. My mom, she's always she's always telling me to try watching this new show that she loves. She, every week it's something new. And I never watched her shows for the same reason I never did heroin. So I'm sure I'm like I'm, I'm sure I'm going to like it. I'm sure I'm going to like it and spend a lot of my time doing it. So I just never started you know, and you don't have to worry about it. But this whole this whole episode, we've been talking about being in situations where you're not prepared at 100% and making it through and making it seem like you got through. So, this- Yeah, cash money, heroes, private jets, polish. To connect with the Limitless Mindset community, along with a chance to win free neurotropic brain supplements and other awesome prizes, please give our Facebook page a like at facebook.com backslash Limitless Mindset. If you found this podcast to be informative and entertaining, please give us a five-star review in iTunes or whatever podcast directory you are listening and write us a review letting us know what you think of the show. And remember that the best compliment we can ever hope to receive is you sharing the show 
with a friend. In the money-making technique for this episode, I would like to talk about the concept of frame control and a particularly effective frame control technique that I really like. The definition of frame is a set of emotions and desires that you bring to the table anytime that you are communicating with another person. Now, the interesting thing to keep in mind about frame control is that whenever two people are interacting, one person's frame, which again is their set of emotions and desires, will overcome the other people or person's frames, and this person will usually get their way. I'd like to give you a example of this. Let's say that you have a courtroom and in the courtroom you've got the judge and the jury and you've got the two attorneys and the two attorneys are both trying to convince the jury that they are correct uh, with their stance on the case. So you have the attorneys that have their emotions and their desires about what they want the outcome to be and that they are there trying to convince the jury of what the outcome is. And there's only one of these frames that's going to prevail in the courtroom. And when one of the attorneys wins the case, their frame is going to overtake the frames of the jurors and the jurors are going to rule um, in the direction that that attorney wants them to rule in. So the technique that we're going to share right now is busting the power frame. This is a technique that you could probably use in a variety of situations, but the best examples for it are ones that are relevant to business situations. So that's why this is the money-making technique for this week's episode. If you are in the business world, you've had the experience of dealing with someone who had the power frame because of their massive ego. This is a person that's used to getting their way. They are used to people acquiescing to their desires. This is a person that usually does whatever the hell they want to do, irregardless of the information on the table or how their decision affects other people. Power frames tend to be oblivious to what other people think. So the ego of this individual is rooted in their status. These are usually people that have big titles or positions or they have some kind of feeling of entitlement with their uh, position within their, their company. If you are communicating or negotiating with a power frame person, a lot of times they will only listen to the first few seconds of what you have to say and then they will make a snap judgment about what they're going to do in your situation. Inevitably, in life and business, we have to deal with these kind of people. But the, there is some good news about dealing with them, which is that they are vulnerable to you busting their power frame because they do not expect it. They expect your deference and obedience, and you will take them by surprise with this technique. To bust a power frame, use a mildly shocking but not unfriendly act. Do or say something that is slightly defiant but at the same time humorous. 
When you are defiant and funny at the same time, a power frame personality will know, will be pleasantly challenged by you and instinctively knows that they are in the presence of a real pro. I'd like to give an example of this. Let's say you are a salesperson and you are in a boardroom making a PowerPoint style pitch to a group of people that you want to convince to do a deal with you. While you are in the middle of your pitch, one of the key decision makers of the deal gives you an objection to doing the deal. Since you are a true sales pro, what you're going to say is, hey Chris, that's a great question. However, I'd really like to finish this presentation because I think when you have a total picture of what I'm proposing, it will make sense to you. Then you go on with your presentation. A few minutes later, you notice that Chris is playing on their Blackberry and not paying attention to your presentation. And they're doing this in an obvious way where everyone else in the room can see it. Anyone who's been in sales or negotiates deals for a living is familiar with this kind of situation. At this point, I would say, hey, Chris, I would just hate to have to use my Jedi powers to take your Blackberry from you while I finish my fascinating presentation. While you do this, make sure that you smile big at Chris and roll your eyes a little bit when you say, fascinating presentation. This line accomplishes a couple of things. It's slightly shocking because you are calling out Chris for not paying attention. You are being funny by saying that you have Jedi powers. Using positive body language and joking about your presentation being fascinating, you are building rapport between you and Chris, showing Chris that you understand what it's like to have to be stuck in a meeting listening to a presentation. And finally, Chris is now going to be super focused on you for the duration of your presentation. Now you have just busted the power frame, especially if Chris is the kind of person that has a, a large ego that looks like they're very full of themselves, they're going to be paying attention to you completely. So when you encounter the power frame, be a little defiant or deny them what they want from you while at the same time being funny and friendly and you will win frame control of the situation. Now, the concept of frame control, I believe, comes out of the whole world of pickup, but this particular technique comes from a really excellent book that I'm reading called Pitch Anything, an innovative method for presenting, persuading, and winning the deal by Oren Cleth, which is one of the better books I've read on the topic of sales, negotiation, and persuasion. I highly recommend checking it out, and we will have a link on the show notes on the website, LimitlessMindset.com, to get some more information about that book. This is a story True story. True story happened to me once. Uh, I was at a, I was at a party and uh, I'm talking with this girl. It's going all right, and I want to get her number. Yeah. And she's, she's a little, little hesitant, little hesitant. And uh, there's music going. She's like, "All right, you tell me who's playing right now. I'll give you my number." So I was like, "Oh shit!" 
It was some awful rap music, as most rap music is these days. Just really, really bad rap music. And uh, this was this was a while ago. Was, was it the Booty Wave song? <laughs> not, 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 not the Booty Wave song. It was some song I'd never heard of. Never heard this song in my life. And she was like, "You need to tell me who sings this song and what its name is, and I'll give you my number." So there I was, stumped a couple years ago, and this was at the forefront of uh, the cell phone music listening technology where you have your cell phone listen to it and uh, it'll tell you who sings it. So I get up real close to her and I'm like, oh come on. I know who's song this is you're about to give me you're about to give me your number. She's like, you don't know who this is, you're full of shit. And I'm like, I know exactly who this is. And all the while behind her back, I have my phone out and it's listening to the song and then it's like boom and it was what song was it? It was by uh I forget who it was by. But so I was like, oh, dropped it and was like, here you go. This is the song. This is who's by. Gave me your number. Let's go out on a date the next weekend. So, fake it till you make it. You don't always have to know everything to get by. So, thank you so much for listening to our episode this week. Well, I, I want to give a little commentary to Woody's story here. And what I think is interesting about this story is the story is an example of where Woody reclaimed frame control of the situation. And we're going to talk more, a little bit more in depth about frame control here, but this makes for a good segue. Is the, uh, this nice young lady who had a poor taste in hip hop music, <laughs> what he was, uh, what he was making an effort to get with. She went and issued him a challenge in exchange for the digits that were in play is if he knew the song or not. And so what Woody does is it sounds like what he did was he was real confident about his ability to know what the song was. And then Woody went and used a little bit of body language because you said that you were you were sitting next to her and you put her, put your arm around her or something so that your phone was behind her. We were, we were both standing, so I got up next to her, had my phone behind her back. Right, so this is a, this is a good example where Woody didn't know what the song was, but he used his level of confidence and he used his his body language to communicate that he actually did, in fact, know what it is. And you know what? She probably, she probably, even if you didn't know, she probably would have given you her number because you reframe the situation using the confidence, probably the tonality that you had along with your body language. And I'm ravishly good looking. And ravishly good looking. So... That's uh, so. That's a good example of how Woody used frame control to uh, overcome an objection in that particular situation. Thanks again for listening to the Limitless Mindset podcast. Make sure to connect with us um, on the internet and join the community. Legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, 
or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.